Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. We're going to be looking in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, and Joshua, chapter 6, tonight, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. But while you're getting them out and looking for those references, I just wanted to share for a couple of minutes. I First, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to bring the word tonight. I always love to share, and I appreciate Pastor Luke letting me do that tonight. And also, I love the Old Testament. Does anybody else in here really like the Old Testament? I love the Old Testament. I know I, when I grew up, it was mostly New Testament is what we were taught out of. But I love the Old Testament because, and I love to teach out of them because it's riddled with people that are like train wreck lives, right? And the Old Testament, it doesn't gloss over anything. You get to see all of it, warts and, and, and all, all of the great things they do, all the really, really bad, embarrassing things that they do. It doesn't hold anything back. And why I like that so much And you don't see so much of that in the New Testament. But why I like that so much is because it shows me that if God can use people like that for his glory, how much can he use me or use you, right? And so he lets those those testimonies and those, those little pictures and stories that we get, he lets them stand in Scripture so that we can look at them. Sometimes we feel better about ourselves after reading it. Sometimes maybe not so much. But when we read those stories and we see what they go through and we see how faithful God is in bringing them through and we see how he uses them to accomplish mighty deeds for the kingdom of God, even if they don't finish so great or they didn't begin so great or they fall and have to get back up a few more times, he still does it because he never quits on us. He never quits on us. He's always for us. He's always cheering us on and, and helping us to be encouraged to move forward. And so I really encourage you, if you've not been a real fan of the Old Testament, kind of get into it because there's just so much really, really good stuff there. So the reason that I kind of gave you that little preamble is because we're going to obviously be working out of the New Testament today. But I was talking about people who mess up, right? People who struggle, uh, people who, who don't always finish really well or, or their beginning is kind of weak. And when we look at that, we can kind of look at their lives and decipher as we can look back and see where they went and what they did. We can see kind of where they might have gotten stuck or maybe they shouldn't have done that or maybe they should have done that, right? And so we can look at those things and we can begin to apply them to our lives because sometimes we get stuck. And sometimes we mess up and we think that we're forever disqualified from being used of God or we struggle with an area in our life that we can't seem to ever get victory over no matter how hard we try, no matter how many times we pray. But we just seem like we're caught in this little place and we can't break free. And once again, the Old Testament is a beautiful resource full of truth in dealing with these kind of areas. And and so that's why today I wanted to talk to you for a little while about three strongholds that will keep you from spiritual victory and from walking out God's purpose for your life and how you can overcome them. 
So if you'd known me for very long and you'd been following my ministry, you would probably have noticed that there was often a reoccurring theme in my teachings. And they were about the struggles and the trials that we have to endure and how we can come into freedom by letting go of our past and moving forward into all that's ours to possess in Christ Jesus. And my little ministries, whether it was uh, teaching, I held like home, like home church kind of things for many, many years in my home, and there'd be lots of different people that would come. And it was kind of like a revolving door that these people would come in. Sometimes they'd come for years. Sometimes they would come for a couple of, of times. But every time they would come in, and then they would receive, and then they would move on with their lives. And the desire of my heart has always been that when they did move on, on, that they moved on a little bit freer, and once again, they were moving forward in walking out God's plan and purpose for their lives. You see, I'm no stranger to any of the topics that I ever share. I've always said that I am the test dummy, the guinea pig, and the lab rat for all of them. I've lived and I've experienced it from the other side many times over, but that's how I know that it's possible to be free. It's possible to let go of the past. It's possible to have victory over struggles and to move forward in our Christian walk. It's possible because of Jesus and what he's done. But I never, ever indicated that it would always be easy. Now, so for some people that I've ministered with or, or maybe people that you know, healing from brokenness or freedom from bondage, well, it comes in just a single split moment of intense prayer. Someone lays hands on them, and they never have a desire to, to drink again or to do drugs again. Sometimes it happens that, that quickly. Or they've had a, just a broken train wreck life, and just a touch, God has completely healed them. But for others, it's a weekly or an even daily struggle. And that's of not allowing yourself, your mind, to go back into that place of pain or shame, of truly leaving that past behind and not allowing the devil or anybody else, for that matter, to rub your nose in it ever again. And some days, it feels like you're in the battle trenches and you're bleeding heavily for every tiny little inch of ground that you gain. And other days, you're so full of joy that nothing can keep you from singing and praising God. You just can just shout it from the mountaintops because you just feel his presence and you feel how good he is inside of you. But what we need to understand is that God is the same God in both of these places and in all the spaces in between. Amen? The only variable is us and our response to him in all of these situations. And so today I want to talk about why we get stuck in those in-between spaces, why we get tripped, and why we have such a hard time moving forward, why we can't seem to firmly take hold of what he has so clearly stated in his word is ours to possess. Tonight I want to talk about three strongholds that will try and keep you from your spiritual victories and possibly from fulfilling God's purpose in your life. And they are, number one, strong opposition, number two, walled cities, and number three, giants. So we're going to be looking in Numbers, chapter 13, starting in verse 1. I don't have the cute little table here, so sorry. (laughs) Okay, so Numbers, chapter 13, verse 1. And we're going to read one and two, and then because of time, we're going to skip kind of through the chapter a bit. The Lord said to Moses, 
Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites, from each ancestral tribe, and send one of its leaders. Skipping down to verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good land or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or is it poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit from the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. And so they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zen as far as Rahab toward Lebo Hamath. And then skipping down to verse 26. I'm going to put on my cheaters. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. So just as we read, the children of Israel... They're getting ready to take possession of the promised land that had been waiting for them for over 400 years. And they're poised on the border, preparing to send spies into the land to see if it's, number one, really as amazing as they had been told, number two, to find out how difficult it was going to be to take that land. Perhaps um, they were expecting God to do all of the work for them, just like he had with the ten plagues and the Red Sea miracles that had brought them out of Egypt. And yes, in fact, God was going to do his part, but the Israelites were going to have to be active participants in it at this time because it was going to cost them some sweat equity. Now, this was a faith test because there were seven nations that were firmly entrenched in the land of Canaan, and they had been there for many, many generations. And they had these abominable practices such as child sacrifice and all sorts of perversions that were acceptable parts of their culture. And God was adamant. He wanted the land purged from all of this evil before he set up his nation there. Because God doesn't want one single bit of these practices of idolatry that the current residents are practicing to infect or affect Israel. Because he knew that if Israel did not wipe them off the face of the map, they would eventually become a snare to them. And we do eventually find out that, of course, they did. Well, these nations seemed larger and stronger than Israel, but God promised that 
he would deliver them into Israel's hands. So listen, I'm just going to read Deuteronomy 7, 1 and 2. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you're entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, seven nations larger and stronger than you, and when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them. Show no mercy. Now, God had promised that he would bring Israel into the land and drive out the occupants before them. And God had never let them down before. God had never lied to them before. So you would think that they would be inclined to believe that he would do just as he had said. But then they go into the land and they begin to look with natural eyes. And what happens is that their logical brain kicks in and it begins to override everything that they knew to be true in their spirit. Because oftentimes the human intellect is the true enemy of faith. What seems to happen is that when human logic engages, our faith seems to implode, right? Even if we've seen God work countless times on our behalf, it still seems to go that way. Well, Israel's spies go into the land, and they see that, yes, indeed, it's very rich land and it has amazing potential, but they were frozen in fear about what else that they saw in that land, the size of those fortified cities and the size of those walls. Now, mind you, they just come out of hundreds and hundreds of years being slaves in Egypt, right? And Egypt was, was the premier civilization of that time. It had some pretty impressive structures because we still see those structures standing, what, 4,000 years later. They were amazing. They weren't some little goatskin tents that were going to be easily subdued. Yet God had to del- deliver them from Egypt and the Israelites. Hmm? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not used to a microphone. God had delivered them from Egypt, and the Israelites didn't even have to lift up a sword. So you would think that would still be relatively fresh in their mind at this time. You'd think they would have remembered it, but only two of the 12 spies got that revelation. And the straw that finally broke their resolve was the sighting of the sons of Anak, or the Nephilim, also known as the giants. Well, these spies were gone for 40 days, and they were exploring. And when they came back, you can imagine how excited everybody was to hear what they had seen. And so they were all gathered around, and they brought back proof like like um, Josh, or like Moses had told them. They brought back the size of these huge grapes. You always see the pictures in the Bible storybooks that they're carrying. Two men are carrying this big cluster of grapes, right? It was amazing produce. Because yes, indeed, they were correct. The land was amazing. It does flow with milk and honey, just like God had promised them. But, and then it all goes downhill from there. Powerful people, strong opposition, large, fortified, walled cities, and we even saw giants in the land. Now, Caleb, one of the 12 spies, he doesn't dispute at all what anybody has said previously. He just tries to bring it all back into a God perspective. He said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people because they're stronger than we are. And these men spread throughout Israel a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim. We seemed as grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. So what happened here? What kept a large portion of Israel, everyone that was over 20 years of age, what kept them from entering into their inheritance 
and their victory completely. Or for the remaining ones, what delayed theirs for a really, really, really long time? It's the same thing that keeps us from ours. Strong opposition, walled cities, and giants. Now, 40 years later, after Moses dies, Joshua, the other spy besides Caleb that had previously gone to the promised land, well, he's standing by the Jordan River, and he's overlooking Jericho and its supersized walls. Now, perhaps he's thinking, I know that with man this is impossible, but with God today, it's happening. I've waited long enough. And he readies the people. So we're going to go to Joshua chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once for all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast... On the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. And jumping over to verse 20, and when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, man, woman, young and old, cattle, sheep, and the donkeys. So Jericho was to be their very first conquest in this land, their promised land. And Joshua instructed the people to keep silent for the whole seven days that they marched around this massive wild city. And just as we read in Joshua chapter 6, verse 20, this city's walls, they all fell immediately when the trumpet blasted and the shouts rang out. Now, God did indeed deliver Jericho into their hands. All Israel had to do was go in amidst the shock and awe and finish them off. Well, sometimes we are our own worst enemies. We allow strong opposition, and truthfully, it doesn't really have to be that strong a lot of the time. We allow that opposition to keep us from entering into what God has for us. Now, whether it's beginning a ministry or going on a missions trip or stepping out in faith to start a new venture or even praying or talking to somebody about Jesus, Because we say yes to what God has placed in our hearts to do, we, in our excitement, we just rush out to tell our family and our friends what God has placed in our heart. I I feel like I'm supposed to go on a mission trip, or I I think I'm supposed to start this ministry, or I think I'm going to do a Bible study. And we're so excited to share this. But what usually happens? Well, many times, instead of sharing our excitement and our joy and encouraging us, they tell us how impossible it is or how unqualified we are. And what happens when we listen to them, our natural mind begins to take over and we take in that information and we begin to process it. And where faith was putting that big smile on our face just a moment before, now we begin to visibly wilt under their helpful input. Now, I know firsthand that every time, every time I have ever gone on any missionary endeavor, without exception, I have faced strong opposition. And people would say things like, you're a woman. Where's your covering? Or how can you leave your children for so long? What kind of a mother are you? Or 
Even my own children one time said, you love those people more than you love us. And the old standard, are you sure it was God and not just you? Now, I've had some really hurtful things said to me, things that made me want to curl up and die spiritually, and perhaps you have too. And let's not forget the fearful ones that would tell you just exactly how dangerous that part of the world is where God is calling you to go, and then they gleefully share those dark statistics, and on and on and on. But what if I had listened? What if I had yielded to strong opposition? I'd never, ever have been able to carry the gospel to Far East Russia, where a 90-year-old grandmother was introduced to Jesus Christ, a name she had never heard before, and he became Lord of her life. And so many drug addicts were miraculously set free. Lives changed forever. Or Africa or Haiti, where many salvations and healings took place, or I would never have ministered to people in Israel who were so discouraged in their faith, or in Belgium where I was able to help produce audio courses for illiterate people talking about the great questions of life and highlights in the life of Christ. How about Pakistan and India and the uttermost parts of the earth by way of the internet, or even on the streets and prisons in my home city here of Anchorage? I probably would not be doing this right here tonight either. That's a given. And it makes me sick inside to think about not doing what God has called me to do. Because if I had listened and not overcome that strong opposition, my life and the lives of many others would have been impacted and not in a good way. We need to understand that every one of us at some time will encounter individuals or we're going to experience hostile forces who will become a thorn in our spirit or they'll try to discourage what God is doing or wanting to do both in and through our lives. And it's our response to them that impedes or facilitates the next step. We've got to learn to trust Holy Spirit. What he's called you to do, he will most certainly equip you to accomplish. You need to surround yourself with encouragers, people that are grounded in the word and they're faith-filled individuals. If those people that are around you are always speaking death and negativity, well, maybe it's time to find some different people. Because if they're not for you, they're against you. Your inner circle should be praying for you and helping you to move forward instead of working to kill what God has birthed inside of you. Remember the 12 Israelite spies? They all saw the same thing. Ten focused on the obstacles. Only two of them had faith to look with spiritual eyes and remember the God that they served and what he was capable of doing. But the ten that spoke negatively, they influenced the majority, and it cost the rest of them 40 more years of difficulty and death. Don't miss or delay what God has called you to by listening to the faithless. Strong opposition will crumble in Jesus' name, and he will instead replace it with a firm resolve. Okay, that takes care of the strong opposition, but what about those walled cities? The spiritual barriers whose very purposes are to keep the blessings out and the walls up, we can't allow delay or unforgiveness or betrayal to set up walls or barriers in our hearts. We can't allow disappointments or offenses to stay. We can't get angry when it looks different than we thought it would, or it takes longer than we ever hoped. Instead, we need to take all of our expectations, our hurts, our unforgiveness, our agendas, 
And we need to submit them to God because, after all, he's the mastermind behind the whole process. We need to learn to wait patiently on him, loving and serving in whatever capacity he puts in your path, using each day to grow stronger in his word. And if you stumble, if you struggle, get back up. Confess it to him and receive his forgiveness. Memorize. Put it on your mirror if you have to. Proverbs twenty four sixteen, which says, For though a righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Amen? So you keep getting up. You keep getting up. That's been, I'm going to just take a little rabbit trail. That's been a thorn in my backside for a long, long time because so many times religiosity keeps people down. If they make a mistake and, you know, they repent, but it's, they don't let them forget it. And so people never can move forward because they always feel like they're labeled or they're caught up in shame. And that hurts. And my passion is to get people who think that they're disqualified because of a past mistake or something to get them moving forward. Because Jesus never, ever told someone to repent and go to the back of the line. He just said, you know, don't do it again and keep going. And that's what we need to do, too. Because God has a plan and purpose for each one of our lives. And he knows we're made of dirt. He knows we're going to mess up. But he still gives us things to do. He still trusts us with those things to do because he knows how we're going to finish. Even though we may do some really dumb things during the journey, he knows that we're going to finish. And so he is, he is willing to give us the opportunity to continue on. And so we need to remember that. Sometimes we're the hardest on ourselves. Other people may have forgotten it, but we're still wincing, okay? But we need to get over that. We need to get over ourselves. We need to receive the grace that was not cheaply purchased for us. We love to, um, we, we love to talk about grace, but sometimes it's hard for us to apply it to our own lives because we, the enemy loves to bring things back to our mind over and over again. But we need to put it under the blood. We don't need to let that be a speed bump any longer, and we need to get up and get back out there because Jesus is holding your place in line. So if that's for somebody here tonight, I'm speaking to you. I used to be that person. He's got your spot here. He's waiting for you to get back up and get in the the game because there's souls that are yours for the harvest. Moving forward. So keep moving forward in your walk with him and learn to love out of the love you yourself have received from him. Pour it into the ones that God has placed in your life. And don't allow the evil one to bring condemnation or accusations from the past and try to derail your faith. And sometimes he uses human minions to help him with that. But you need to know who you are in Christ, and you just don't take it. Don't give it access to your heart. Take those thoughts captive immediately in Jesus' name. And forgive others quickly, and most importantly, learn to forgive yourself. Several years ago, I had this very respected, internationally renowned evangelist, teacher, and author who I'd known for most of my life, and he judged me pretty harshly, and he said some really hurtful things to me after I told him that God had asked me to go to minister in India. Well, he told me candidly that I had no business to ever go on a mission field again because there were demons out there, and they would tear me to pieces. Well, as much as it hurt me, I didn't allow that hurt to become a walled city in my heart. I forgave him, and I asked God to forgive him too. And the very next mission trip that I took after that conversation was to the, the island nation of Haiti, which is full of voodoo, voodoo and lots and lots of demons. 
And that person could not have been more wrong because lasting relationships were forged. God moved in a mighty way in that city, and many people were saved and set free. And you know what? We didn't have one demonic manifestation the whole time. And I had to ask the pastor, I says, are you sure there's witch doctors and voodoo here? And he says, oh, yeah, one of them was sitting in the church. And I'm going, wow. But God was watching out for us, and he had the last say in that one. And so don't listen to the naysayers. Keep your heart close to God's and listen to him. Allow yourself to be vulnerable to the touch of Holy Spirit. And just like the walls of Jericho fell when the shout was lifted up and the trumpet sounded, let the power of God come into those areas that have become hardened because of disappointment, disillusionment, anger, bitterness, betrayal, whatever you fill in the blank it might be. As those walls fell down under the blast of the trumpets, so those interior walls in our heart that are holding back the blessings and keeping us from moving forward, well, they're going to likewise collapse when we invite Holy Spirit to come in and take authority over those areas. Holy Spirit's going to come in, and he's going to break every yoke and every stronghold, and you're going to be completely free in that area. With just one touch, you begin to advance further and further into your God purpose beyond those walls. And you know what you're going to do? Because of that newfound freedom that you found, you're going to bring that freedom to others who are still back there in that bondage. And my mentor told me, and I love this, he says, free people, free people. And that's what we're called to do because we've all been freed, and it's our job to help bring other people out of the bondage. Amen? Amen. And lastly, we must defeat those giants. Even as the Israelites saw the giants and immediately allowed fear to come into their hearts and minds, we do the same thing with the problems and the circumstances that we come up against in our lives. We stew on them. We chew on them. We replay them in our mind a million, million times. And we're allowing fear and unbelief to displace faith. And soon we've built up this insurmountable giant in our mind and we feel defeated before we even get out of the gate. Newsflash. We may not know how to scale that mountain, meet that need, pray for that situation, but thankfully we serve a God who does. And my Bible and your Bible says that he never sleeps and he doesn't slumber. So absolutely nothing catches God unawares or by surprise. We don't know what to do. When we don't know what to do, we stand our ground. We inquire of God, and then we position ourselves to listen. And we don't move until we hear what he has to say. We don't have to know the whole answer, but we do have to be willing to take a step of faith. Now, we might not be able to fathom how we're going to accomplish this impossible task, but we've got to remember who we serve. He absolutely knows how it's going to be done. We just have to get moving. We have to step out. And God's going to meet us there. I could stand here for hours and tell you story after story after story of how God took impossible situations in my life, and he brought me through them to the other side of it. And I'll bet if I went around with this microphone and you stopped and think for a little bit, you could each do the same thing. If you think back on what God has done, and you didn't think nothing could be done for that, and God came through. The problem is we often forget what he has done, when we get overwhelmed with some new situation. Now, God's promised us many things in his word, personal things. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that he's created each and every one of us to carry out special works 
for his glory. And he did that before we were ever a twinkle in our mother's eye. He knew the plans and that special purpose that we were each created for. And God's never let us down. He's never, ever lied to us before. And that being said, shouldn't we believe that he will do exactly what he says he will do this time too? But then we start moving forward and begin to look with our natural eyes and, well, we become much like those children of Israel that we just talked about. Our logical brain kicks in and it begins to override what we know to be true in our heart and in our spirit. Our faith begins to diminish even if we've seen God work a zillion times and move on our behalf before. The enemy's plan is always, always, always to disrupt God's plan in our lives, and he'll use any mechanism that he can to achieve this. He specializes in making himself seem bigger or the problem more frightening than it really is. And that's why we're told in 2 Corinthians 10.5 to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring it into captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. I like to think of that as like you're a cowboy and you've got your lasso and you're up there and you grab that thought and you're wrestling it. You're pulling it down and you're putting it under your feet because it can't stand it can't stand against the word of God. So think of yourself as a spiritual cowboy. And when those thoughts come in, get your lariat out and pull it down. God's going to deliver, but we have our part to play. We have to be engaged in the process. We must take those thoughts captive and make them submit to the truth we have been given in his word. Because truthfully, the biggest thing that keeps us from our spiritual victories is us and our inability or our refusal to remember what God has done for us in the past and what he promised in his word. That's why memory stones are critical in a believer's life, and I harp on this a lot. Memory stones are so important because they aren't literal rocks, but they're reminders of how God's delivered us personally, how he miraculously provided or supernaturally healed, or he opened a door for us that no one but he could open. We need to boast of these things to our family and our friends. We need to always keep it in the forefront of our minds. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he performed in times past, he can and will do again. Now, you can be prepared to press through strong opposition by spending time in the word. And when you're in the word, that's how you learn to recognize his voice because there's always three voices that are going to be speaking in your head. You know, one's God's, one's yours, and one's the other, you know the bad guy. We don't want to listen to him. And sometimes his, his word lines up more with what we're thinking than what God's word does. So we got to clearly identify whose voice we're listening to. And the best way to do that is get in the word. And that's another thing I harp on. You got to know the word because that's like going into a battle with a quiver that has no arrows in it. Okay. If you don't know the word of God, you're shooting blanks. You know, you got nothing. So you got to get the word into you. Okay, so you recognize his word, and when you you learn to hear the voice of your father, God's going to lead you, and he's going to direct you. And believe me, if he's called you to do something, if he's put it in your heart to do something, that's the only voice that you need to respond to, because that's the only voice that you're responsible to when you stand in front of that throne. It's not going to be your friend or your neighbor's. It's the voice of the Father. And then you need to allow Holy Spirit to break through those walled cities in your mind and your heart by bringing truth into these fortifications. Jesus came to break dividing walls. 
He came to set captives free, and he came to bring us into unity in him. So don't allow your issue to take up valuable real estate that Holy Spirit should be residing in. Allow the walls to come down with a shout of praise and surrender each part of that formerly walled city to him. And finally, in dealing with those pesky, pesky giants, just the the sight of them scared Israel so much that they willingly abandoned possession of God's promise for them at that time. They abandoned their very inheritance. Now think about that. That's that's a pretty big fear. They saw themselves as grasshoppers in their own eyes and believed the giants. They believed. The giants didn't say it, but they believed, projected it on the giants, that the giants believed them to be likewise. Now, how ironic that over 400 years later, God used a young boy named David to take down a giant. And it seemed like David didn't even consider his own physical size. He just fixed his heart on the size of his God, and his confidence was unshaken. In 1 Samuel 17, 45, David says to the giant, You come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down, and I will cut off your head. Now, that's the attitude that we need to have when we come up against giants. It's never, ever about our size or ability, but it's always about the God that we serve. The enemy doesn't quit when you receive a victory. There will be a counterattack. You can guarantee it at some point, but 2 Corinthians 1.20 reminds us that all God's promises are yes and amen. So he's faithful, and he's true, and he always keeps his promises towards you. So you don't need to be afraid because the devil is already a defeated foe. Now, my hope tonight is that after you heard all of this, that you've learned something helpful. Maybe it made you more aware of of why you might be stuck in your spiritual progression. God's for you, and God wants to unstick you. He wants to get you back on your feet. He wants to get you moving forward from victory to victory, but you've got to want it too. Psalm 138.8 says, The Lord will work out his plans for my life, for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Well, that's as true today as it was when that psalmist wrote it. But you have to figure out what's keeping you from your victory. Are you stuck? Are you walking out God's purpose for your life? Are you struggling with what your purpose is? Are you a grasshopper or are you a giant killer? God has really big plans for each one of us, but the choice is ours to make. It's always about being a partnership. Are you willing to partner with God's plan for your life? Are you ready to be a giant killer? Because with his help, you can learn to overcome these three strongholds just like Joshua and David did. And then you're going to get up and get back moving forward in him. Because that's always been his plan for you. It's always been his plan for you. So right now, I want to take a little bit of time. We have a few minutes, a little time to respond. I don't know if this resonated with anybody. I felt really strongly that this was the word I was supposed to give. And five times a day, I heard Jericho, Jericho, Jericho from different songs and different things. So apparently, there's somebody that, or maybe all of us do, maybe it's me, I'm preaching to myself. It could be. But I want to give an opportunity for us to respond to this. So 
If we could just um, maybe bow our head for a minute. And we can pray. Father God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your word that's gone tonight, Lord, that I know, I know this to be true in my spirit because I've seen it so many times in my own life. And Father, that we allow naysayers, we allow other people to project on us and to rob, to pull out that, that thing that you've placed in our heart to do, Lord. And Father, we just, we ask for forgiveness if we've come into agreement with those people, if we listen to them instead of listening to you. And Father, that we'd allowed ourselves to become stuck. Lord, we just ask right now that you would just move with your hand over each person that's here tonight, over each person that might be listening, that, Father, that you would search their hearts. Lord, you know each individual what's going on in their lives and where they are. Father, things that that we've done, things that we've thought, things that we've said, and things that other people have said over us, Lord. Father, we come out of agreement with all of those lies right now in Jesus' name, and we come into agreement with your truth. That, Father, that your truth says that you have a plan for each one of our lives, and it's a good plan. And that you have good works that you have already provided for us to do, Lord. You put those giftings and those talents and abilities in each one of us, Father God. Because you have a specific purpose, a specific task, specific lives that we're supposed to touch. And so, Lord, we just ask that right now that you would move by your hand that, Lord, that you would bring to mind those places where we've gotten stuck, those things that we've allowed, um, Father, to keep us there, whether it's somebody said something, or, Father, if it's bitterness or unforgiveness or disillusionment or, or something else that's allowed walls to come up in our hearts so we don't want to move forward in you. Or, Father, if it's just fear, if it's fear of, of what we don't know, Lord, if we've allowed giants to come in and influence us in any way to keep us from walking out the plan and purpose that you have for our lives. Father, right now, we just want to submit our will to yours. We want to lay it down today. Just come in, Holy Spirit, and clean house in each one of our hearts. Break the dividing walls. Take out anything that shouldn't be there, Lord, that's keeping us stuck, that's keeping us from moving forward in you. We love you, Father. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you for the many blessings that we we all live under. And Father, we just ask that you would help us to be vessels of honor and that we would also in turn be blessings to others. So Father, I thank you for this time and I just bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.